0: Hello, I'm Evan Brand, Certified Functional Medicine Practitioner. You know that by now, I'm here. Let's talk about mast cell activation, something that's not fun, but man, it can really destroy your life if it's going on and you have to get to the root cause and address the underlying causes of mast cell. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with Dr. Tanya Dempsey. She's an expert in chronic disease, autoimmune disorders, and mast cell activation syndrome. She's sought after internationally for her knowledge of chronic immune dysregulation and has attracted patients from around the world. And she received her MD from the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. She completed a residency at NYU Medical Center. And long story short, she ended up and doing a lot of functional medicine certification as well because obviously your standard medical doctor doesn't have training on biotoxin illness lyme disease chronic lyme mast cell all the problems she works with you don't get training like that in medical school so she had to do what most people do is look into functional medicine to really understand the root cause pieces to the puzzle and that's what she's done a great job at highly highly respect her and look up to her for what she's done a lot of good education and a lot of her talks and videos that i found but Now we've got her here, so let's have some fun together. I'll just briefly mention my website, evanbrand.com, that's where you can learn more about working with me or my staff. We look forward to helping you. We work with people around the world, so look at my full list of conditions that we help with. Even if it's not listed, we could probably help, but pay attention to the list of conditions on my site. If you go to the bottom, scroll to the bottom, click conditions, you can look at a big old list of symptoms. All right, let's now dive in with Dr. Tanya Dempsey. Dr. Tanya Dempsey, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. So we're talking about what I think is probably the most debilitating situation you could have because people think you're crazy. People think what we're talking about today is in your head. Uh, A lot of my clients have been referred to uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health professionals and they've lost family members and friends because their family thinks they're crazy when they say that they're suffering from something like chronic Lyme, multiple chemical sensitivity, maso activation. Can you just explain to those people that say, hey, it's in your, it's all in your head what the truth about that really is?
1: You know, it's so, it's so sad because I, I can't tell you how many patients that I see are in that same boat where, you know, they, they're giving up hope. Right, because um, every every doctor is saying it's impossible. That doesn't make sense, right? Their symptoms don't make sense, and when symptoms don't make sense, it's not because it's in the patient's head. It's because you just haven't figured out what the problem is, and there's always an answer, and that's that's how I approach this. The the answer is there. You just have to figure out um, how to look for it and how all the pieces fit together, and um, and so um, and that's what I do in my practice. We just you know we dig deep and we find all the connections and. And unfortunately, um, many patients who have had mold exposure, uh, tick-borne infections, environmental uh, toxic exposure, I mean, there's so many things that sort of wear our bodies down. Our, they, they interfere with our ability to, to detoxify. They interfere with our cell function. Once you sort of have that assault on your, on your body, things can go awry. And if you have the genetic potential, I think there has to be a genetic potential that gets turned on. You know, really, it's, it's called epigenetics. There's something that's going to bring out that, that potential. And um, often, it's some immune dysregulation that happens. And, and often, and I'm not going to say all the time because I can't say that, but very often in patients who are, are, don't have the answers, um, they have multiple issues going on. And sometimes we find this condition, Mast Cell Activation Syndrome. And and mast cell activation syndrome really can affect every organ system, every part of the body, including the brain and the nervous system. Um, And when patients are reacting, when they have this, um, this condition, they can react everywhere. So they can have anxiety, actually, that's not uncommon. It doesn't mean it's in their head, it doesn't mean it's all psychiatric, it means that they're having a mast cell reaction that's driving the nervous system to, to look that way. And the way to treat it is sometimes, yeah, you need to treat it with anti anxiety medications, but sometimes you've got to get to the really root Most of the time, you've got to get to the root cause and figure out what's driving that. What's seen, driving that immune system?
0: I've seen some pictures of mast cells and how a normal mast cell, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but based on what I've looked at with these pictures, a mast cell is full of histamine. Is that right?
1: so mast cells actually make more than 200 different chemicals histamine is one of them tryptase is another chromogranin a is a third okay those are I, i named those three because those are easy to test in the blood but they make a lot of other chemicals again over 200 they make um um cytokines uh which are inflammatory chemicals they make um Hormones in a a sense. I'll call them hormones. There are many many different things that these mast cells can make, but every person's mast cell is different and Within the person's body their mast cells may vary. So each mast cell is not making 200 different chemicals each mast cell is making whatever set of chemicals it's programmed to produce and then those chemicals lead down a path of whatever symptoms are associated with it. So histamine is the one that we think about very often because if patients have a allergic type reaction um, and mast cells are, are uh, involved in a true allergic reaction as well. But some of our patients have what, are, what looks like allergic like, but they don't they test negative for allergies and, and their reaction is they get um, hives, let's say, on their skin or they get flushing or they get a runny nose or sneezing. So that, that, that's sort of obvious. That's histamine um, being released from the mast cell causing the sort of inflammatory reaction, causing sort of the blood to flow to that area. And then you get that redness and swelling and all that. So that's, that's the easy part, the, the, the harder part is, is is understanding these other chemicals, I shouldn't say easy, but it's easier to understand, the, these other chemicals, we're just trying to figure out how what they're doing.
0: Ah, uh, the- Okay, so when so I saw a picture of like a normal looking mast cell, and then I saw a picture of a mast cell and what's going on with mast cell activation, and it looked like the mast cell, you know, for lack of a better term, it was just leaking. It was just leaking everything out into the system. So when yeah. someone says, Hey, I have a chemical sensitivity, you know, they're reacting to car exhaust, you know, diesel, smoke, um, laundry detergent, dryer sheets, all the conventional crap out there. What's actually happening in that situation when you're having a reaction to that?
1: Well, yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I want to be clear. Um, we're just understanding that true link between chemical sensitivity and mast cell activation syndrome. And the pioneer in this area is Dr. Claudia Miller, who has done some amazing work in the area of chemical sensitivity. And she's the one, uh, and, I, and um, I'm doing some research with her, as is uh, my colleague, Dr. Lawrence Afrin. And we're now putting the pieces together, that it does seem that they are one in the same probably, but we need to publish that. So what we believe is happening is that these chemicals are are basically being recognized by the mast cell as foreign to it. So just to even back up a little bit, our mast cells are part of our primitive immune system. They're there to help us fight off things that are foreign to it. So the mast cells are are supposed to protect us from parasites and bacteria and 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 things in the environment. So it recognizes this chemical as, as bad, as as bad for us. It it is bad for us, but not everyone reacts to it, right? But that mast cell it sort of binds to something on the surface of the mast cell and it sends a signal, you know, that the mast cell has to fight that off. And in order to fight it off, I mean I'm simplifying it, but to fight it off, it's basically releasing these chemicals. And some of these chemicals are released in what's called a degranulation event, where these like granules are basically kind of like, I I imagine it almost like exploding, like an exploding mast cell. But sometimes the chemicals are just leaked out, and they're leaked out slowly over time. And even that slow leaking is enough to keep the inflammation going and and enough to keep the, the, uh, the symptomatology going, so that some people... Yeah, first they're just sensitive to gasoline and and paint, but then um, sometimes they're sometimes what happens is they start to it starts to become uh, more generalized. So now they're sensitive to you know they they walk into a store and there's no new paint, there's no gasoline, but now there's something in the store that's bothering them, and then it just sort of it spirals out of control because their mast cells have become dysregulated.
0: For me, I've noticed. So, you know, since I got exposed to mold last year and I told you I'd got bit by five or six ticks last year, it's hard for me to know chicken or egg. You know, was it the mold that screwed up my immune system and caused me to start reacting to things? Was it potentially Lyme and co-infections? Do you find that one situation is more common than the other? Like, can you rate Lyme and co-infections as a trigger 60% of the time and mold is 40 or vice versa?
1: No, you you can't. And that's the, that's the problem. I would say that... Um, many mast cell patients are extremely sensitive to mold. We know that. But because mast cells are, again, your front line of defense against foreign things, mold is a fungus, right? And it releases these chemicals, uh, these mycotoxins. The same with Lyme and these co-infections. They're, they're microorganisms. They release uh, their own uh, toxins. And so, um, no, you can't weigh them. Uh, But you could usually, and what I try to do with my patients is really um, understand the chronology of events so that we understand what was driving what. But I will tell you that it's not uncommon to see mold and tick-borne diseases together. And I think what happens, how I think about it, is that there's this genetic predisposition for an alteration in the immune system. And sometimes it's obvious from childhood, and sometimes it's not. But when I do a history, I, I start from in utero or even before. Like I want to know your mother's health when she when she was carrying you all the way through. And sometimes there are events during that childhood that make me suspect that there's some immune dysfunction, maybe mast cell dysfunction early on. But maybe your body, you were able to deal with it because you didn't have much for your body to, to you didn't have any major exposures, let's say. And then there's usually like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I think over time, many of us are exposed to, um, oh, infections. Look at how many people are exposed to strep. They get strep or they're carriers of strep. Um, Tick-borne infections or insect-borne infections are pervasive. I don't care if you say that you don't have ticks in in your state or there are ticks everywhere, even in the desert, practically. Um, So, Um, the chances of you acquiring infections that way, very, very easy. Maybe your immune system could deal with that. But then you have a a major event like a pipe bursting um, or a water leak or a unclean HVAC system that's been there for a long time acquiring mold. And then whatever your body was doing, just it couldn't be done. It couldn't um, control it anymore. And then the mold seems to be, in my opinion, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Okay. Most of the time. That's that what, I mean, make-
0: that's what happened to me. You know, I had several tick bites. I used to work in the park system where I'd pull off ticks all summer, and I never had any issue with that. I stayed on astragalus during the whole summer, which maybe helped me back then. And it wasn't, you know, it was five years of me getting bit by ticks, and I never had a situation or a problem until I got exposed to mold. And then that, I mean, it broke me. So I'm glad to hear, I, I hate to hear it, but I'm glad to hear you think the mold is the straw that breaks the camel's back. because mm-hmm. it makes sense how I was fine leading up to, and then I got the mold exposure and then boom, that was it.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to understand too, that, that a lot of my colleagues in the functional medicine integrative world, um, are really concentrating on the detoxification aspect. And that's important. I'm not going to minimize that. You have to, you have to detox from the mycotoxins. You have to treat if there are some underlying fungal infections that often are there as well. Uh, but, um, what happens is even if you've cleared all the toxins out, your mast cells or your immune system may still be dysfunctional. So you have that initial insult. Now some people bounce back. You know, I have patients, they leave the moldy environment, they take their binders, we do a bunch of things, and then they're better. They're better until they're exposed to mold again. But I have others they do all that, they're slowly getting better, but they're not they're not moving. the needle's not moving on that, and that's when I look at okay, is it the toxin from the mold? Is it the infections that are are now maybe coming out more because the immune system has been has been suppressed in a way because mycotoxins are the primary immunosuppressing agent that you can be exposed to. So it could be that, or could it be that you have mast cell activation syndrome that was triggered by all this, but now the mast cells have sort of a, a mind of their own, so to speak, and they're, they're you know, um, degranulating and leaking, and, and they're causing all these symptoms, and it doesn't matter anymore if you detox, the point is that the mast cells have to be dealt with. Makes so sense.
0: Would would you argue there's a correct order of operations to this? Like detoxifying mycotoxins has to be done first before you can heal mast cells, or is it just all of it has to be done regardless of what order?
1: Yeah, it's a, that's a great question because um, it has to be individualized. Um, if if you're very if you're a very sensitive patient, and we know that you have chemical sensitivities, and now we think maybe you're sensitive to ingredients, herbs medications. A lot of my patients um, who have had similar experiences to you are are sensitive. So I have to do one thing at a time. Um, So everything has to be sequential. I can't just throw everything at them. But what I do know is that the mast cell piece has to come pretty soon, pretty early on, because I want to stabilize the immune system so that you don't react to all the things that I'm giving you. And your, and your mast cells are, I'm sorry. Yeah, you I know, just, if you're, if you're trying to detox, but your mast cells are exploding and degranulating, then we're not going to ever detox you.
0: This would explain, you know, I interviewed Neil Nathan and he talked about how some people they'll react to like one sixteenth of a tablet of chlorella but yet he'll keep those people on the one sixteenth tablet of chlorella to try to detox mold. And that could take forever where really you should be tolerating say 15 tablets. So you're saying in that situation, that patient may need to change gears and focus more on stabilizing the mast cells before you try to hit the detox. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. And then I would also look at, um, the, the manufacturing of the chlorella. So maybe this is your favorite chlorella. You know, so I know like I have favorite products that I use and, and let's say 99% of my patients tolerate that product, but I have this one patient who doesn't tolerate it. Is it because there is some filler or some ingredient with that that they're reacting to because mast cell patients are exquisitely sensitive to excipients? They're sensitive to methyl cellulose sometimes. They're sensitive to magnesium stearate. These are things that are often found in, in vitamins and supplements. Um, so I always think about, okay, are they reacting to, this, to the chlorella, or was there some way that the chlorella was made? So in that case, I might switch the brand. I might switch the type of um, agent I'm using for the binder. And I would definitely say, you know what? This patient is very reactive, so let's work on that underlying problem, which is the mast cell
0: understood so i told you off air i was on natural binders clay charcoal zeolite chlorella etc for six months i got my ochre toxin down according to the great plains test like 180 points so i made a ton of progress in six months using natural binders but some of the blurry vision and dizziness type spells i was having those hadn't resolved so i just began the cholestyramine during this whole time i was doing what I had learned from following you and some other people, is doing quercetin to help stabilize mast cells. Do you think something like a daily quercetin, you know, three to four times a day, can that be enough firepower to stabilize mast cells?
1: Well, so everybody's mast cell is different and everybody's condition is different. So do I have patients who are able to manage um, their MCAS condition with, um, with quercetin? Absolutely. Um I have others that need multiple layers. Corsetin may be one, but they also need other things with it. Some patients can't tolerate corsetin and they either can't tolerate the tolerate the corsetin, that active ingredient corsetin or they can't tolerate the um, excipients that are found with the quercetin, um, let's say, you know, they're quercetin and bromelain type um, combinations, and some people can't tolerate the bromelain because it's made from pineapple, and some patients react to that. Maybe there's um, the capsule is made from methylcellulose, and they react to that. So um, so the, the I guess the short answer is, yeah, quercetin is a really powerful Um, antioxidant, it has antihistamine properties, and does have mast cell cell stabilizing properties, Um, but everyone is different.
0: Okay, I just wonder if there's anything else you think I should be doing to stabilize mast cells as I'm going through this mold detox. You know, my reactions are getting less and less where I can tolerate more buildings, I can tolerate smells, and perfumes and fragrances and stuff and such but if I'm around too much like dryer sheets if I'm too close to somebody you know if somebody's in my house with dryer sheets on I still will react to that which tells me I'm not out of the woods yet
1: that's right that's right yeah so it's hard for me to say I mean without knowing your whole history you know what I would do next I will tell you that I think it's very important for you to uh, be tested for mast cell activation syndrome. I think you need the data. I mean, I'm making assumptions based on your history, based on what you're telling me, but of course I'm not diagnosing you, right? Let's right. be clear to your listeners, right? Um, you really should get some testing done so that we understand what we're dealing with. Um, and then in a systematic way, you know, we decide you know, what we would do next. So in some patients, um, an H1 blocker might come next. An H1 blocker is a histamine blocker. It blocks the H1 receptors in the body, and those are drugs that are in the antihistamine category, like Claritin, Zyrtec, Zyrtec, Allegra. Those types of things. Those are H1s, um, and uh, and sometimes we have to add an H2 to that, and those are histamine 2 blockers. So those are drugs like Pepcid, Zantac, etc. And I know that this is uh, you know sort of an integrative forum, and I'm talking about medication, but I will tell you that. Sometimes these are very, very helpful, and you, you, you've got to have all the tools in your toolkit, this is a good one, um, particularly if, if patients are very, very reactive. So you, you pick one of one, and, and you try it, and if that doesn't work, you try another. So it could be H1, H2. Um, it could be, yeah, there are other uh, natural substances that have antihistamine properties that we sometimes use. Um, there are enzymes that break down histamine. Like the diamine oxidase enzyme, um, which you can take as a supplement to break down histamine in the gut. That may be helpful in, in, in someone who has uh, maybe gut issues related to the mast cell problem. Um, you know, there are um, drugs like chromaline, sodium that we sometimes use, ketotifen, LDN, low dose naltrexone can be very helpful. So, anyway, I mean, the list goes on. I could just keep going. Um, I think you just need to be systematic, and yeah, and it's best done under the care of a, of a practitioner who knows what they're doing, you know, with, with mast cell. But I would probably test because it'd be good to know if this is really what's driving some of your symptoms.
0: Understood. All right, let's talk about testing. Maybe a few specific things we'd want to go after. What about herbs or other botanicals you may use? For stabilizing mast cells, what else or are, are there any go-to formulations like combination formulas? I mentioned to you the one I'd had good success with so far, the Mast Ease from Beyond Balance. It's got some natural quercetin-containing herbs in there. Are there any blends that you use? Are there just single botanicals that you're using?
1: You know, I use um, a number of different things. So, um, so for instance, uh, I mentioned quercetin combined with bromelain. Um, can be a very good combination. Um, and, and especially when even combined with other systemic enzymes. So breaking down the inflammation can be very, very helpful. So you have sort of like proteolytic enzymes and quercetin and, and bromelain, that's a really great you know combo. And I, and I like that vitamin C is a potent antihistamine. Um, some patients do very well taking high doses of vitamin C some patients we give IV vitamin C to help stabilize uh, the mast cell. Now there are lots of other um, herbs um, and and natural compounds that have antihistamine properties or mast cell stabilizing properties, but it's not clear to me like how much you have to take to uh, get the effect. So for instance, watercress apparently has some antioxidant, antihistamine properties, but I don't know, do you eat a bunch of watercress? Do you eat three leaves? So I don't think it's been quantified, but it's very interesting. There are some studies that have looked at various compounds. Capers, for instance, is another. Capers are apparently very high in quercetin, uh, but again, do you eat the salted capers? Probably not. Do you, um, do you eat a jar of capers? Uh, but anyway, so um, there are lots of things in nature that can be, that can be helpful.
0: Okay. Are there any I, blends, any companies, any professional brands that have blends or like, I know Designs for Health has one called Ease I've used. They've got like a patented version of an herb in there called Tinospora Cordifolia. They've got some stinging yep. nettle leaf in there.
1: Yep. That's a good, that's a really good formula. Um, Zymogen has a really great um, formula as well um, called um, Aller DHQ, I think is the name of that product. Um, and that has a combination of, uh, yeah, blinking blanking off the top of my head, but quercetin is in it. And then there are a few other ingredients. Um, also very, I think there's some nettle in there as well. Um, and, um, and the DAO enzyme um, product um, that uh, actually, I, I have my own line of, of supplements. So I have, I'm now manufacturing the DAO enzyme product. The, um, and then things like uh, probiotics. Um, very important to talk about because some probiotics, some of those blends, actually those strains um, either um, contribute to the production of histamine or they make histamine. And so that could actually make things worse. And there are some strains that actually help to break down histamine or they themselves are low histamine. So um, picking the right probiotic blend could be really, really helpful. Um, there's some good research on uh, gaseri. Uh, l which is uh, shown to actually help metabolic syndrome, but it seems to be a low histamine or histamine breaking down um, kind of um, probiotic. And so there are a number of them, them that I'll use. Ramnosis is by far my favorite, L-Rhamnosus. Um, very well tolera- tolerated by patients with MCAS who can tolerate other probiotics. Ben
0: Lynch, he's got one. I don't know if he if it's just a private label or if it's something that he's actually manufactured and custom formulated himself. Do, are you familiar with his the Seeking Health version?
1: Uh, yeah. And I can really tell you what's in it.
0: It's uh, so it's Bifido infantis, Bifido bifidum, Longum, Lactobacillus salivarius, Plantarum, Lactis, and breve. So it looks like there's no rhamnosus in there, which I'm surprised.
1: Right, and that's so. I was surprised also, and I, now I remember. I've, been, I've looked at his products because a lot of patients ask me about it, and um, I'm not sure why Ramnosis is not there. My guess is that that it's probably a cust- it's not a custom formula. It's probably he's um, private labeling it, and that's the formula. But the other blends in there, or the other strains in there, I should say, are are good. Okay. Are def- Dr. So, right
0: so rhamnosis is missing now do you have one that you're custom manufacturing for am. Anti, uh, anti-histamine
1: yep what's I that have one a couple, called absolutely. I have a couple of them one is called optimum probiotic uh, metabolic and that is so I use it for metabolic issues but it's working wonders in my mcas patients um, and I have the rhamnosis alone which I use in my patients who are really sensitive so it's called optimum rhamnosis. Uh, and then I have my optimum six X, which is my high dose, high, it's a high potency hundred billion, um, units with, uh, the right blend of, um, of strains.
0: Where can I see Cy- these?
1: Six different strains. So, well, we are in the process of putting our e store up. Um, it should be up shortly. So it's not online yet, uh, but it's coming.
0: Cool. Cool. Cause I know designs has a hundred billion probiotic. I don't think you can private label that one yet though called Probiomed no. 100. And I don't even know what's in it.
1: No, so it's a good one actually. I've looked at it. Um the one thing it has that I'm a little cautious, I think it's the one that has some strep. Um it might it might have that strep um thermophilus strain. Okay. And uh that can be an issue for some of my patients with uh pandas or chronic strep infections. Um Autoimmune encephalitis. Sometimes they have trouble with the strep, especially if they have high strep antibodies. Let's so see.
0: I- I'm gonna share my screen. This will be okay. more fun this way. So here we can look at it. So this is a bifido lactus. You can read it faster than I can read it to you.
1: Okay, so this is this is the um
0: This is the hundred billion. So
1: Okay. So. Actually this is this is excellent.
0: Would you consider this an supportive yeah. formula and not a histamine increasing formula?
1: No, this actually... Okay, so the only thing is the acidophilus, which can be um, uh, histamine-producing, uh, but um, it's balanced with so many others. So I will sometimes throw acidophilus in the mix um, at a low, low dose so that because I think it's important. So overall, almost everything else in here should balance it off. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good formula
0: wow so this bifido being at like 36 billion the lactobacillus plantarum you would say those are both conducive to healing a mast cell problem yeah
1: yeah
0: and you've got what over 50 billion of those
1: yeah
0: that's really good to know yeah okay so any other supplements or formulas that we should mention helpful in this i mean i know you're an expert in some of the pharmaceuticals where i have no education or knowledge at all so i'm glad you mentioned that stuff but i like to hear about hey, what are the things that we can do that you don't need a prescription for as well?
1: Right. So, you know, yeah, I I mean, I love, I love that too. Um, But I also know that I have to get the patients feeling good. And sometimes I can do that a little bit, you know, more easily with, let's say, um, they just need a Benadryl, you know, because they having a a severe reaction, I'm not going to rely on quercetin When they're, you know, they're telling me that their throat feels like it's closing, you know, every time they put something in their mouth, right? So I think it's about balance. But if it's somebody like you, and you're, you're, you're listening, you're doing the podcast, you're functioning, right? And generally, you're not having severe reactions, you don't feel great at times, right? That's a little different story. So you have a little bit of, of uh, room. To be a little bit more holistic and a little bit more natural and try one thing at a time. Um, so, I just want to be clear about that. But, but you know, there are lots of very interesting um, herbs that, um, that I'm looking into that do- they don't have a ton of research in the area of mast cell, but they have a ton of research in the area of, of the immune system and more things coming out that they may be helpful for the mast cell. So, I'll tell you which one, which herb I love right now is Andrographis which is a really powerful herb. You have to be careful, because what's interesting about it is that, even though it seems to be helpful for mast cells, um, there are some patients who develop allergic reactions to it. So it's not something that you just pull off the shelf and you start, and it needs to be monitored. But, it, but um, there's some very good research about andrographis being, it's antimicrobial, so we use it for Lyme disease, it's, it's antiviral but it seems to also stabilize the immune system and decrease inflammation. And so that may be something I'm going to use when I'm trying to hit a few birds with one stone, so to speak. Beautiful. Right, I'm trying to deal with the, you know, underlying infections as well as the immune response.
0: Are you familiar with or using I may pronounce it differently than you, but I pronounce it Citta Citta Acuta. Buner recommends yeah. that a lot for Yeah. Uh, Babesia, and I was having this kind of head pressure. You know, I told you about those those headache or uh, the the tick bites, and then I was having this head pressure. And so I thought, well, maybe this is a babesia type situation. So I just started dosing fifteen drops of Cida Acuta three times a day, and all of a sudden the head pressure went away. And I thought, well, does that mean I had babesia? Does that mean I worked on some other mechanism with the Cida like?
1: Yeah, or is it that there are some anti-inflammatory properties associated with the SIDA? Um it's yeah, it's very hard. I, I you know, patients love to um associate, you know, if this is working then that must be the answer, right? Especially in the Lyme world, right? So, uh cryptolepis is something that I'll use for babesia for instance and and if um if the cryptolepis works, it immediately say, "Well, oh, see, it was babesia and it definitely could be. I'm not saying it isn't, but sometimes we don't know all the mechanisms. That those herbs are working through, so maybe it's you know reducing inflammation, and and the same is true for antibiotics. And I'll tell you that um, I have some patients who you know we're, we're using antibiotics for their Lyme or tick-borne infection. You know, maybe I'm always doing herbs and other things, but sometimes they need the antibiotic, and they and they get better, and um, we stop, and then uh, they get worse, and we start it again, and within a dose or two, they're better again. They get better so quickly with that antibiotic, it's almost too quick. So you you start to wonder, is it that these antibiotics or herbs or whatever we're using is killing? Is it killing that thing, or is it an anti-inflammatory and reducing inflammation, which is why they feel better? And there is that most antibiotics on the market have literature uh, supporting their their effects as an anti-inflammatory agent. Almost all antibiotics can be anti-inflammatory. You know, like you take take an Advil for a headache, these these, um, these antibiotics, these herbs, etc., can also exhibit that almost same effect. So it's very confusing.
0: And I think it's probably bad as us humans, this is just our nature to have this reductionist mindset of well, we wanna know that this herb does this mechanism, but I think it kinda takes the joy and beauty away from the herbs too, cause we're trying to just say, sita does this, you know, Cryptolepis does this. It's maybe we should just say, ah, it's it's great. And just, and not care so much about trying to identify single mechanisms because I don't think any herb probably has a single mechanism they're just too unique
1: well yeah exactly and you know Brunner has done some amazing things and I I I've read his books and I follow him and I use a lot of his protocols so I really respect him um and 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 it's been so helpful with the information he's brought out because a lot of this information is not you know SIDA acute is not written about you know generally but he sort of brought that to the to the forefront but the problem is that, um, yeah, we've gotten sort of used to this mentality. This is, this is part of our traditional medical model. You, you have a disease, here's the, here's the treatment, right? So you have high blood pressure, here's the high blood pressure medicine. So the same, So what's happening is that that's sort of happening in the, in the more integrative functional medicine world. You have, you have Babesia, here's the cryptolepis, You have, you know, and that's not wrong, it's just still um, limiting us in 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 the greater um issues going on right i think yeah
0: yeah. we could probably spend hours talking about labs so maybe if you have any references or a blog post or a podcast or an interview or something you did on lab testing rather than us take up airtime, you know talking about this lab and that lab and that lab um for mast cell if you if you have that, let us know. If you don't, maybe you could just mention a few things that you'd recommend looking into. If you did want to get some diagnostics run to investigate whether you had a mast cell problem or not.
1: Yeah. So, well, first of all, my my blog on my website, Doctor, so it's Um uh, We have tons of information there that I've written. Uh, and Dr. Afrin, my, my colleague here in the office, has written, um, and and really he's the world's expert on mast cell activation syndrome. So we we write extensively on this. So the the answer may be on the on the website, on the blog. In addition, I've done multiple uh, Facebook live events and webinars, and and uh, speaking engagements that are either on the um, website or on my Facebook. So a lot of this information is there. Um, but I'll just say briefly what I think is really um, the easiest thing for most patients to do is to have their doctor draw uh, a plasma histamine level, a chromogranin A, and a tryptase, And um, because some of the other testing that needs to be done needs to be done as a 24-hour urine or a random urine, the urine has to be in a certain way, has to be kept cold. There are special labs that process those those tests, so it is. Complex, and I, I go through that in some of our, some of my blog posts. But I would say that some tests are just easy, and if if you had, let's say, an elevated histamine and an elevated chromogranin A, and you have the symptoms uh, consistent with it, I usually like to see two positive tests, and you have two positive tests. To me, that would be highly suspicious that that's what you have. So I like to keep it simple if I can for most patients but there's no question that um, sometimes you just need to to do the, the big guns
0: and those tests you mentioned those would be more readily available where you could just write up a rec form and get those pretty easily what about yeah. like you're mentioning the plasma histamine yeah. now I've heard and read some talk about with some of these tests, you want to make sure you do it like after you have a flare or when you're currently having symptoms, does it matter with something like a plasma histamine, whether you're currently reacting to something or not?
1: You know, yeah, it it might be better if you were reacting to something. Um, and it's not always easy to, to plan it. You know, if I have patients go for blood, they can't always plan it around the time that they're having a reaction, but if you could plan it yeah that's the ideal time is about four hours or so after a reaction um, histamine will be higher tryptase may be higher although tryptase that's a whole other conversation and I don't personally use that as a diagnostic um, uh, criteria so if it's elevated great if it's not elevated it doesn't rule anything out um, but um, but yeah during a flare or after would be best yeah
0: okay so when I've experienced things like Dizziness or heart palpitations or uh, my wife even experienced it at a, at a Columbia store. We went to this uh, outlet mall to go buy some hiking pants for her father-in-law. We went in this Columbia store and as soon as you open the door, you just get hit with the VOCs, all the clothes. They sold coolers there, plastic water bottles. I mean, we both were like, whoa. Now, I know we're sensitive, but I feel like your average person would even smell that. Now, by the time we were going to go leave this store, we felt like we were going to fall over from all the VOC's in that place I mean mm-hmm. can you describe like what the heck is even going on in that situation people throw around this term of like your brains on fire or brain inflammation that's causing you know dizziness or other symptoms like that how how would you explain what that even is and how would you go about calming something down like that besides just taking a nap and letting time do its thing.
1: Well again I to me that really does sound like a mass cell reaction And you have mast cells that line all your nerves in your body and they're found in abundance in the brain and they interact with all the the cells in the brain. They react with the, the actual neurons, the nerve cells, they react with the astrocytes and the glial cells. And so just imagine that you've breathed in the VOC it gets it gets it circulates in, in your body. Maybe it penetrates, maybe it gets through the blood brain barrier, um, and now is stimulating the, the mast cells in the brain, and the nervous system. Those mast cells are now degranulating, leaking, you know, out all their chemicals. And that's and, and some of the chemicals that the mast cells produce are actually neurotransmitters. So they may, you know, give a, a signal to the nerve to the neuron, here, do this and the neuron may respond with, with something that's very, like a neurotransmitter that's very toxic or causes an a, acute reaction. And now you have, you know, some people say they have um, burning in the brain. To me, that's that's mast cell activation syndrome, but you could have dizziness, you could have headache, you can have um, vertigo, you can have any of those things. Um, you can have, I've had patients who have had that type of reaction and then develop like an acute panic attack. And it's not that they're anxious per se, but it has it brought out the nerves in the in the brain got irritated, and and then they you know wound up in this um, acute you know neuropsychiatric state. So um, so to me, the, w- the way to handle that is you, you have to leave, right? You've got to avoid the exposure in the first place. You got to leave the exposure, um, and then you hit it with um, the mast cell agents you know and that may be a time when if you want it to go away faster and it's lingering you know then you take an antihistamine and see what your response is cuz because in that case if you took an antihistamine and you felt better pretty quickly then you have confirmation that that's really what this is
0: that'd be interesting what about the opposite which would be you know a place like a shoe store, Columbia, a terrible place to go, take an antihistamine before you go in the store and what? see if you react to it as much.
1: Exactly. I love that idea.
0: Not that I want to go do that, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, so part of me thinks, well, you know, screw it. Who cares about a shoe store? I could just order shoes on the internet and get them to my house. But then the other part of me thinks, but wait a second, other people could go to a shoe store and not have that reaction. So it's not that... I don't want to say, well, I'll just live in a bubble and just ignore those places. There's, there's a mechanism going on that's not right. So to me, it's not even really about the shoe store. It's about, well, there's an underlying mechanism that's still happening, which means I'm not fully well. So I need Correct. to do something about it.
1: Evan, that's exactly right. And you have to dig. You need to dig deep and understand um, what all the roots are. Okay, so mold is a root, tick-borne diseases is a root, uh, but I would venture to guess that there are other roots there that have not been, maybe deeper roots, that have not been explored. And when you get deep and you really understand the whole picture, that's when you are able to then go into the Columbia store and go, huh, it's not as bad anymore. You know, I have patients, like once we've really healed them, let's say they were exquisitely sensitive to mold. You know, they could tell the minute they walked into, into any place that there was mold in that, in that place into a hotel or whatever, but I have patients they've recovered. And while they still know that there's mold there, they're not as reactive. They're not going to get as sick as they would have if they were in a different state. So that's our goal. Our goal is to get you to that point where you become really more tolerant of your environment. Cause right now you're not.
0: I was to a point, uh, towards the end of last year where I could go in a grocery store and 30 seconds later I could tell you I need to turn right back around because the dizziness was going to settle in. Now I'm able to go to Whole Foods and I could spend an hour there where before I'd spend 30 seconds in there and I would get dizzy. So I think I'm on the road to recovery but it's so certain buildings like, you know, furniture stores, shoe stores, tire shops where they're really more intensely toxic chemicals or maybe higher concentrations that still hit me. But I mean... Is your average person having a reaction and they just don't know it?
1: Yeah, that, that's the question, it's, right? You, you don't know because you can't go inside of them. But, you know, I would say that, um, you know, in our estimate, something like 17% of the population um, have mast cell activation syndrome.
0: You said 17, I, like 1-7? Uh, yep,
1: okay. yep. So, like, let's say close to 20%, right? One in five people. Now, that research was done in Germany. Um, and there's some, we have publications on that. So we don't know if that completely applies to the United States, but we're making an assumption. That's a lot of people, if you think about it, right? And I think it's a spectrum. I think there are people who have it, who are sensitive, who don't really know that they're sensitive. You know, they may um, have, let's say, their blood pressure goes up in a certain circumstance, but they're not attributing it to something specific, like that they were in a, in a shoe store, and they were exposed to VOCs, and then the blood pressure went up. They just think their blood pressure went up because they were stressed about being in the store, right? So there are all these things that are so hard for some people to correlate. Um, but what I think is really interesting is that there's a great, well, not interesting, but I think that is a great tool uh, for your listeners and for yourself. Um, there's a questionnaire, it's called the Queasy, Q-E-E-S-I, the Queasy questionnaire. It's a chemical uh, sensitivity questionnaire and you can score it and see you know how sensitive you are you learn a little bit about yourself and there may be things you didn't even think about in terms of of sensitivities that will enlighten you and we're using this now to correlate we're using that queasy score and correlating it with our some other scores um in the mass cell realm and now that, that's how we're, we're now seeing that association is very strong
0: beautiful so. are there any other resources uh, you know, books you mentioned some of your blogs and webinars and things we can look at. any other things that you're doing with your patients, like you mentioned the questionnaire. Are there any other um, data gathering, you know information gathering things you're doing with your patients that I may want to implement clinically or just have other people ask their practitioners about?
1: yeah so so there's a a, a massed cell questionnaire that we're using um that is based on a paper. Uh, by uh, Molderings, who's who's out of Germany, Gerd Molderings, um, and so we have a we have a questionnaire, and I'm I'm happy to provide those questionnaires if if you want to see what they look like. We use the Queasy, so we're trying to quantify some of this data. We're trying to understand what correlates with what, and how that correlates with the lab data and, and the symptom. So those are those are great. Um, and then, you know, I think that just in terms of resources uh, for, for people to read, I think one of the, the best books on the market on mast cell activation syndrome, maybe the only book really, um, is Never Bet Against Occam, um, which is uh, written by my colleague, uh, Dr. Lawrence Afrin, who works with me in the office here.
0: I haven't bought it yet. I've seen it. I don't know why I haven't bought it. I will buy it right after we're done and start reading it tonight. But uh, I'll read, I'll buy the Kindle so I can read it instantly. Uh, but yeah. But I've seen it everywhere. I've seen the cover everywhere.
1: You know what? It's very powerful. I, I think that um, what it does is sort of validates for people that they're not crazy um that these symptoms that everyone else is thinking as this is sort of how we started this conversation right everyone else thinks they're crazy um but but i don't think they're crazy dr Afford doesn't think they're crazy and my colleagues who are who are also very interested in this disorder don't think you're crazy because um just no one has really spent the time to see how everything is interconnected and the whole thing about occam is that um you know it's sort of like can you should you put all your eggs in one basket is there one unifying diagnosis that explains everything and we would argue that often there is you know in the in the traditional medical world we we love you know, giving people diagnoses, right? So, in the electronic medical record system, it will, you know, the doctors put, okay, you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol, you have, um, you have allergies, you have, um, you know, I don't know, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, you have fibromyalgia, and you just have those list of things, migraines, etc. cetera, the list goes on. And, and the truth is that these, many of those conditions, actually, are, are um, really come from the same root, and, and many of them can come from this conditioned mast cell activation syndrome, because we know now that, that MCAS can lead to fibromyalgia and migraines and interstitial cystitis and chronic pain. And, and so the list goes on. So then all of a sudden, you don't have a huge list of diagnoses. What you have is uh, maybe a few diagnoses, but one main one that's driving everything. And if you, if you deal with that root, then you, know, then you get better. And so that's, that's the beauty of the book. Is that you start to understand that?
0: Cool. I will definitely get it. You know, when you're working on these cases, I know it could range from, you know, very small to very long. But are you seeing these issues get better in weeks, months, half a year, year, two years? Like, what would you what would you say?
1: Yeah, very variable, right? Because it depends on what is involved. So, you know, if it's um, look, I've had mold cases where um, uh, I don't want to say it's simple. But we you know we've we've done the work. we've We've figured out uh, most of the issues we're treating. You're, you, we remove them from the mold, especially if they're young and um, the mold is relatively recent, like it's a quick exposure and we get them out of it. Yeah, sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's a matter of months. Um, sometimes it's it's years because we're we're basically peeling the onion. And so we're taking all these different layers. Uh, away and um, and that takes time. And it depends on how many layers that, that onion has. Right. So, look, I want it to be quick for patients. Obviously, I want them to get better. Right. Uh, but there's no way of knowing because of um, what you know, I have to understand everything that they're dealing with. And I also need to understand their genetics, their susceptibility and why they're acting, you know, why their body's reacting this way
0: that's a perfect answer that's exactly what I expected you to say and I'm glad you did because people want to hear that it's just black and white and it's not you could just have mold you could have mold and lime and parasites and tons of other crap so you can't just go on one rabbit hole you pursue that rabbit hole full bore and expect that it's the magic bullet I mean I was working on my gut for like 10 years before I finally got my IBS situation under control so that was like a huge layer of the onion now you know I I might not have even discovered all the layers yet. I think I've still got layers to uncover.
1: So irritable bowel syndrome is a red flag for mast cell activation syndrome.
0: That was my whole life. Now, I feel like it's under control now, but like ages, you know, 10 to 25. I mean, that was like, that was just my life.
1: So this is the point I was making, you know, when, when I'm taking a history and you know, so let's say I have someone so often I have patients like you, they come in and they really have like an, it sounds like an acute issue, right? You woke up, you started waking up in bed or whatever, you were dizzy, or you started going down to the kitchen, you were dizzy, you started having these symptoms, right? And I would argue, and then you had, a, you, you found out you had mold, but I would argue that the problem predated that, that there was something with your immune system already and, and so when I go back through childhood and you would have said, oh, yeah, but I had irritable bowel for, you know, 15 years. Um, irritable bowel is a ridiculous diagnosis because it doesn't say anything. It just says that your bowels are irritable. But why? Right. So sometimes it's because there are parasites and sometimes there's um, SIBO. Sometimes it's, and it's, it's often mast cell activation syndrome driving the symptomatology. It's all those things sort of driving that. So that tells me that you had that predisposition for your immune system to react that way. And then you had multiple tick bites. Then I don't even know your whole whole story, but I'm just sort of trying to put it together right. like with my patients. And then the mold was the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right, so. Sense. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure we could chat for hours, but we gotta wrap this thing up.
1: Okay.
0: We will send people back to your website. You said it's just your full name spelled out, D-R, Dr. Tanya, T-A-N-I-A, Dempsey, D E M P S E Y dot com. Perfect. Yeah. Beautiful. And the uh, clinical information, that's all on there, or is that a separate website for your clinic? Yeah,
1: yeah. Everything, everything is on there.
0: Okay, beautiful. any last words of wisdom, resources, things you want to share with people? I really appreciate your time.
1: You know, I, I think thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Um I, I would say that um you know, the, the one piece of advice that I, that I, that I tell patients and I, and I want your your listeners to to hear is just that, um, you have to, um, believe in yourself. You have to believe that if you're not feeling well, um, don't, don't accept that, uh, you know, doctors telling you that there isn't something, you know, just keep hunting, keep looking for the answers because you know, your body better than anybody else. Yep.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. What an awesome lady. Oh my goodness. Dr. Tanya is super cool. I found several interviews that she's done with the media and she does a great job with the conventional media interviews. Obviously, the long form is much better, but when you've got five minutes on a news station, hey, it's Monday morning, 6 a.m. Let's talk about Lyme disease. and She gets five minutes to try to make all of her points. She does a great job. So, Look up some videos, look up some more interviews with her if you're interested in learning more about mast cell activation. This is a tricky situation. Uh, Luckily, I've got my mast cell activation problem. If that truly is what was going on, it makes sense based on talking with her and reading a lot about mast cell activation. I haven't found any other term, right? The term really doesn't matter. It's the underlying issue. But I haven't really found any term that makes more sense than that. I feel like I've got it under control, though. So that's a good sign. I'm on the up and up here. I'm on the path to recovery. If you do want to reach out with me, activation is not something I'm an expert at at the time of this recording. I'm learning, but it gets tricky. You know, there's just an experiment that you have to run on yourself because as she mentioned, some people do well with quercetin, some people don't. Some people need pharmaceutical interventions, some people don't. So that's a tricky situation. You know, I would definitely want to have someone like Dr. Tanya on my team if I were working with a mast cell case. Uh, fortunately, this is a quite uncommon situation relative to the percentage of people dealing with other issues that don't have a mast cell component. So that's a good thing. If you do want to reach out, get some functional medicine testing run, look at your case, get all the puzzle pieces laid out on the table, I'd be happy to help you gather those pieces. You can reach out at my website, evanbrain.com. You know, I've also got Megan Gump on staff as well. She's certified in functional medicine, has all my same training, and I've trained her specifically on all of my protocols and procedures for several years now. So she's also available. And either way, we look forward to helping you. Take care. Talk next week. Bye-bye.